Hi everyone, welcome to the Pamba Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. And I hope you're all keeping safe and taking care of yourselves and, um, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, that everything is going okay with all of you. Um, I am delighted to welcome back KJ Ramsey to the show today. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you. This is the third time you've been on the show. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm grateful you keep asking me back. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I always do that with people, with people that I really love. <laughs> um, I think one, Alexander Shire has been on the show like 10 times, I think, or, you know, um, there are people I'd like to I have back, that. but I'm not, yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, there, there's people I'd like to have, to have back, but I've not been able to get back. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, but yeah, it's a privilege to have you back, and, um, we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about your book, your first book, which is really exciting. I've been reading it, and it's fantastic. Um, it's really... Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's really impacted me, um, personally. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been really inspiring. And I know other people have been finding it the same. Uh, it's called This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. And... Uh, it's like a yes. Yeah, so tell you actually no. I'll, I won't tell them about the book. You tell us about the book. Um, tell us a bit about yeah, yeah. the book. <laughs> well, we tend to talk about pain and suffering from the past tense perspective, but the reality is that so many of us continue to live in stories that hurt. And mm. so I wanted to share a story from the middle, and through telling some of my own story and sharing insights from neuroscience and theology to help us all become a little bit more curious and compassionate toward the pain in our own stories to experience maybe a little bit that God is here with us. Yeah, I love the fusion of science and theology in the book. It's a memoir. It's like, it's like a kind of combination of all three. Um, kind of beautifully brought together because um, you've got a very powerful story that you tell. Oh, you're welcome. There's going to be a lot of compliments because <laughs> um, uh, it's a great book. But um, I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of based around your own story, isn't it? So I mean, so tell us a bit about the context of the rest of the book. I mean, your the story behind the book. Of my story? Yeah, your story, yeah. Yeah, so I have lived with a severe autoimmune disease for 11 years now, and that's really what the book was birthed out of, is this experience of living in a story where suffering really will linger until I die, unless God chooses to heal me, which he hasn't. Mm. I will continue to live with this disease. It's not something that I can overcome and up to this point I've never experienced remission so a lot of the book is sharing about that aspect of my suffering as a way of hopefully inviting you for readers to reflect on your own story um, and to to think differently about the spaces in your story that remain painful 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what was the kind of experience when you were first... When you first experienced symptoms of your condition and when you first got diagnosed? Because I know that there was a bit of a... And this is in the book, that there's a lot of... There was a lot of um, confusion over the diagnosis and that was really frustrating for you because you knew something was wrong and people were trying to make out nothing was wrong. And... Right, yeah, which is it's such a common experience of people with chronic pain that we are, especially females, are treated with suspicion by doctors and and by one another, by, by even people who aren't medical professionals. So uh, my story of being treated with suspicion and being treated in really shaming ways is actually is pretty common. For me, it took four years before we really had a confirmed diagnosis for what is wrong with in my body. Um, mm-hmm. We thankfully, from the very beginning, my doctor suspected that it was rheumatoid arthritis or something like that, and it's it's ankylosing spondylitis is what I have. But thankfully, they are treated with really really similar medications usually the same and so I've been treated from the very beginning but the experience of especially in those first four years having to prove my pain to doctors was probably the hardest part of experiencing this suffering in all of these 11 years Um, there's something deeply powerless and shaming to like the core of us when we are experiencing a suffering that like puts us up on the ground and makes us incapable of doing almost anything and then someone says that's not real Mm. (laughs) right yeah it's like that that's that is incredibly shattering to our souls. And so that, that happened a lot in the beginning of my illness. And I, my heart just breaks for the thousands and millions of people that are continuing to be in that place of undiagnosed pain. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, it's, I've, I've done a lot of work of mental health advocacy and, I've had mental health issues myself and I know that's one big problem with in that area too is that so many people clearly have a condition which you could get a diagnosis for and you don't get one and or there's not a recognition of the condition you know so people could have like people could have autism spectrum disorder and not be diagnosed um, and I know lots of people who, I mean, I think I, I, I'm very likely to have it. A, a doctor told me that I'm very likely to have it, but they couldn't give an official diagnosis because somebody else had to do that, um, for example. Mm. So it's really yeah. frustrating when you, when, you, when you know that something's wrong with you and you know probably what it is, but you, but you can't get a diagnosis because people can easily kind of come at you and say that you're making it up or that it, you're not, you know, that, that it's not real. And, and right. that is heartbreaking. It really it, is. It's, well, it becomes inc- 
incredibly difficult to place our suffering within a story that is headed somewhere good when we are being surrounded by messages that say your suffering isn't real or your suffering should not be as bad as it is. It places such a shame on the sufferer and then we have no scaffolding in which to place and stand in our stories. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of feels, you know, you, you feel lost um, in, a, in a bit of the wilderness without any direction because you don't, because you don't have clarity. Uh, and that is, and the, yeah, the shame, the shame is yeah, horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was out of that, it was out of those many years of, not having confirmed answers and like begging God for answers and help that I had to come to a place of safety within ambiguity. Safety within ambiguity. That is, wow, that's profound. Um, yeah, I mean, how, what, what 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 did you, what what do you kind of mean by that? What what was that place like? Well, we tend to, and I tend to think that safety and peace, joy, come within having answers for why we hurt and knowing the purpose of our pain but in having these long years of not having answers I was forced into a posture or perhaps invited into a posture of learning that joy was already within me it wasn't that I needed answers in order to experience goodness in my life. I needed to turn toward my life and be willing to be in it, even when I didn't understand it. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, I've been through a lot of trauma, and, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to find, to find God, to find joy within that I mean I have discovered joy within that over the course of time um, for sure you know mm -hmm. with, with grief and trauma uh, I have found joy um, but the, the, I guess my relationship with God was always the the thing and it's only really in the last few months that I've really been able to let go of that 20 years on I mean mm -hmm. how did you come to that that place of peace with God, despite all that was was going on, without any clarity and without any any healing, you know, because that's the kind of Christian story, isn't it? Oh, God will heal you. Right, um, right, and that was not happening, and still has not happened. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I think coming to the place 
of being frustrated and foiled by our search for clarity is really important. Like actually wandering into the wilderness and acknowledging that we don't know where we are and we don't know where we're headed and we don't know if God is actually leading us anywhere good is a critical part of the journey of coming home to ourselves and that God already dwells within us and therefore peace is here and joy is here. It's like we have to experience being lost in order to be found in the love of God that never goes away. So, yeah, for me, it looks like a lot of, and, and, and this is like, I come there, I go there again and again. So I say, you know, it looks like, but I'll talk about the beginning, um, but it's somewhere that I go repeatedly even now. I think we have to go back to the wilderness again and again. Yeah. I, it looks like lots of crying out to God in confusion and like learning that I could be totally honest with God about how angry I was about the way my life was going and how powerless I felt. It was, it's like we have to get to that point of instead of, trying to fit some sort of script where we are fearless and full of faith, we can actually allow ourselves to be fragile. And that's actually the, the ground, the rocky ground where faith most grows. But like I had to be fragile and I have to be fragile again. And, and that's, it's this willingness to show my vulnerability to God. It's within that that I start to encounter God's own vulnerability in his willingness to be shattered by suffering, to live in a body that would die. Vulnerability takes us to God's vulnerability on our behalf. And then we find that there, in the places where we're shattered, we are actually united to a love that lasts. Yes. Yes, that's so true. And that was that was my experience too. When I mm. when I've told this story on the podcast before, but when I when I heard about when I spoke to a friend about Jesus' story and I realized he'd lost a parent and that he'd probably been a social outcast as a child and uh, he was single and uh, he was betrayed and abandoned by his friends and he went through severe emotional and physical trauma it was like oh that's exactly that's very similar to my story yeah you know it was like oh right okay i feel safe now i feel like i'm not alone actually that there's some solidarity with 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 jesus in this and i that he actually knows. It's not like a metaphorical know how you feel. It's a, I actually know. Because right. I've experienced it myself. And that's a really right. powerful thing. Yeah, we think that God has abandoned us in our stories of suffering. 
but God shows his face to us in the person of Jesus. Mm. And even physically is present to us by the Spirit because of Jesus. And to the extent that like I am never I am never alone in my suffering. God suffers in me, with me, and with you. It's a it's a marvel, and I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but I always come back here because I I I continue to be astounded by that the fact that God would suffer with me in this story, and not just with me, but with with everyone, um, is it's worth contemplating, you know? Yeah. It is, and I, I, I guess I always struggle with with God rather than Jesus. Like, because God is more, I guess, more abstract, more ambiguous. You know, you mean, you mean the Father? Yeah, God the Father. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, That was always really difficult for me. Uh, you know the, uh, you know, and I see. I said, I, I said this before, but I see Jesus the. Div- I see the divinity of Jesus in his ultimate humanity. That's mm-hmm. it's not the miracles that you know that that are in a, that mean that much to me, although they're amazing. But it's it's just that when you see his full humanity, then you see his divine nature, like yeah. expressed the most yeah. fully. I uh, think that my chapter about the humanity of Christ might be my favorite. It might have been my favorite mm. one to write in my book because. I, I was sitting, um, I was at a monastery when I wrote that chapter. Um, I was having a really, really hard time writing my book um, because I was, my husband and I were facing um, more suffering after a period of trying to hope that our lives would, would get better. And it was a kind of suffering of spiritual abuse and, and get to that different point but I felt just shattered again by what it seemed like God was allowing in my life and I had to re-investigating like do I really believe this and so I was having the hardest time getting words on a page for this book because I wasn't sure I believed it and I had to face that fact very very clearly and so I went to a monastery for a week by myself and uh one of the day it was so good to be welcomed there by the monks and by the guest master and we talked every day and one day after talking with him he shared that in the gospels he thinks that every person that Jesus healed was a picture of of God that God was willing to be to identify himself with the woman who bled and the uh, you know people that had demons within them like these were God went and met them and and honored their stories as sacred and I went back to my um, room and wrote there was this one moment 
like, I think the line is, if I cannot allow Jesus to be as human as me, then I cannot allow him to be Lord. And it was like, I, I broke down and wept while writing because I realized there in my humanity and feeling so far from faith that I, I needed to encounter the God who was just as human as me, who is just as human as me. And it was like, that's, that's the actual faith is accepting not just that God is God, but God is, God became human and came near to us there and is as human as we are when we have to sleep at night or we are floored by infection or we are shattered by sorrow. God is that human and that's the seedbed of my faith. Yeah, it's same. Same. Without that, I don't think I would have a faith anymore. If I'm honest, if it wasn't for exactly what you're talking about. It's um it's deeply profound and that line was powerful. Well I, I remember that. Uh that's one of my yeah, favorite I really, chapters. I wept when I wrote that line. I burst out in tears and just wept for like twenty minutes when I wrote that line. It was like a confession. Mm. Yeah, that, that's that's one of the big things about writing. It, it it unlocks things that are inside of us that we need to say, <laughs> and right. things that we didn't know we needed to say, and getting them out of ourselves and naming them that brings healing and it releases mm-hmm. it. Um, and you know, like the tears, that's where that comes from. And I've had tears when I've been writing my story as well it's it's it's, mm-hmm. the, uh, it's it's quite therapeutic um um and powerful and you could sense that when reading that chapter it was um that that was that there was a lot of a lot of a lot of been put into that so um yeah it was a wrestle for sure <laughs> but a lot of the book was a wrestle so let's be honest <laughs> most of it was wrestling <laughs> Yeah, but I think I, I, I love that. I love Divine Wrestling. It's um mm-hmm. somebody should write a book called Divine Wrestling. That'd be that'd be a quite <laughs> that'd be a cool name for a book. Um but yeah, because there's a chapter on the Psalms and like and the Psalms I love the Psalms. I absolutely love the Psalms and uh they they're all about divine wrestling, basically. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, a lot of those Psalms it's lament, you know, it's um, and we need that more than ever, to be honest. Given what the, we we're going through right now, we need we need more songs of lament. We need more books of lament, uh, where we're allowed to sit in that pain and to name it. Um, and yeah. this is this is one of them. I mean, this is one of them for sure. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but yeah, I mean, tell us about that chapter on the Psalms. And yeah. what that was like to write. So the chapter on the psalm, let's see, what did I name it? Emotion, present to pain, receptive to grace. So I think to get back to what I was saying earlier about we tend to think that our peace will come 
through finding the purpose in our pain. And so we we tend to push away pain itself because we, we want to get past it and we want to understand it. But I think that the example of the Psalms and really the whole canon of scripture shows us that it's not in having answers that we will experience peace and joy. It's in asking our questions and being heard that we will most experience being held. And Mm. so, and I find that that in my study of neuroscience, that that is true as well in that like when we are searching for answers when we stay in the left brain place of analyzing and trying to slap ourselves with truth so that we can be stronger than we are we aren't actually capable of experiencing um, our social engagement system turning on like being soothed where we are, feeling connected, we're, we're not actually able to feel peace and joy when we're looking for the purpose. And that's actually how our brains and bodies were wired in that God invites us by the very fact of how our bodies work to relate to him with honesty and with hearts that are undone and messy. And uh, so I have for a long time felt a home and safety within the Psalms because there I find language that is much different than what our culture and Christians today tend to say uh, when speaking toward our sorrow. The Psalms Show me a God who is extremely comfortable with my most desperate cries. And they show me that being honest is where I can experience my humanness, being held and being holy ground. And so, yeah, writing that chapter, it was, um, I really loved writing that one. I spent a lot of time in um, one of Eugene Peterson's books called Answering God, he talks a lot about the Psalms. And yeah, I, I wanted to invite people to think about their emotions differently, that to, to be able to have a little bit better understanding of how emotions are actually energy in our bodies that are always inviting us to pay attention to ourselves as people who have value and to be moved into relationship with God and with others and not as things that need to be shut down or pushed away or, you know, submitted under truth. <laughs> like emotions, our relationship to them is sadly so shaming. And I want to invite people to a much gentler embrace of emotions as an invitation from God to connect to him very honestly. Yeah, that's right. It's not about 
it's not about just having answers for everything and trying to solve everything, I think. Right. Sometimes it's about sitting in the pain itself and just um, acknowledging that it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there is a there is a journey to go on of healing and, and restoration and transformation, which, you know, but... Um, but it begins with actually sitting in the pain uh, and not looking for answers and not looking for the solution um, um, because you know, that's, the pain's not gonna, just going to go away it's not just going to disappear mm. uh, in some ways we, we carry it around with us all the time we just learn to manage our response to it better and to, and to just rub it of its power over us I think that's 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 where free that's where I found freedom. I think that's mm-hmm. where we where we find freedom when when it no longer has power over us. Well, yeah, when it gets transformed from a prison master to a prompt to remember the God who chose to experience pain on our behalf. That's, I think, one of the centers of the Christian faith. Mm. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I want, I want the church to recover that because I think we have swallowed the lie of Western culture and, for me, in the States, of the American dream that says, all pain is a problem to fix and we tote around our bibles like it's aspirin but really scripture is a story of god's solidarity with suffering and if god chooses for suffering to be part of the story then not all pain is supposed to be fixed Sometimes pain is a prompt to pay attention and to connect with a presence that is beyond us. And I'm ready for us to turn away from an aspirin bottle faith. Oh, that's a great phrase. Yeah, an aspirin bottle faith. Yeah. Oh, that could not be more true. Um, yeah, I am tired of a faith which is just about solving the problem or being a fix. You know, that this is where we get into problems where we build start building structures around our pain because it makes us believe that we've solved the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's really simple and formulaic, but actually it just makes it worse. All that happens when you do that is that the pain actually grows and festers and it becomes more powerful because you're not acknowledging that it's there and and that manifests in so many different ways but you're not fr- and you're not free uh, mm-hmm. because and I was talking about this with somebody else because it was Easter recently and you know I was talking about how Jesus when he was on the cross was offered vinegar to numb the pain and he didn't take it mm-hmm. he he felt he chose to feel the pain and to, to feel that weight of suffering and grief 
and trauma and physical pain to its fullest. Yeah. And um, that's, a, the, that's the example for us. And when he rises from the dead, he doesn't rise in a new body with no scars. He rises in a body where he's still got all the scars of his suffering and he shows them to people. Yep, and they remain yeah. even now. Yeah. Jesus is still human and still has his scars. Yeah, and that's, that's again, it's the example of what he wants us to do. It's, you know, it's, he wants us to face the pain. He wants us to name it. He wants us to own it. Uh, and, and he does it. transform it. Yeah, and he does. Yeah. If it's you do, not in the way that we often want. Yes, that's, that's absolutely true. It's, it's a risk when you choose to face it, when you choose to name it, when you choose to do the work. It is, but because you don't know the outcome, but right. but you but but you but the only, the only thing I would say to people who are trying to make that choice is you don't know exactly what the outcome will look like, but you will be free um, because this thing will no longer be controlling you. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, that's the offering here is that. I forget the verse, I quote it several times in the book, but we have the mind of Christ. So the point is for our pain to become a place where we pay attention to Christ being present with us in the present moment so that we remember we have been united to him, his mind, his faithfulness, his trust in the Father. His joy, his ability to be misunderstood yet remain loving, that becomes what controls us, Mm. his love. Pain is the point at which the mind of Christ becomes ours if we're willing to pay attention to it and let it be a place where we sit with God's presence, the invisible God that comes near to us in Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that feels like the heart of the book in many ways. It's just, it's about, it's, it's a story of, of how we sh- should sit in the pain and what can happen and the reality of it rather than kind of the happy ever after Hollywood Christian right. ending to a story where uh, right because I'm still sitting here in a bunch of pain. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yep. it's not all about like oh God fix like I went through all this but God fixed it and now everything's okay. That's no, yeah, that's not. No, the case. it's a story. I mean, I end the book for for those who haven't picked it up yet because it's coming out soon. Um, I end it with a chapter on repentance, which I think is probably, Mm. I hope, actually a little surprising for people. Um, And I talk about repentance not as this acknowledgement that we're so sinful, but repentance is turning toward God and toward ourselves and toward others with compassion again and again. It's it's trusting that God is actually here and is actually loving. So it's turning toward our lives like that's true. And that is what I 
that's the end of the story for me is that I have to repent. I have to turn again and again toward myself. Like my body actually matters. My pain actually matters. I actually am loved and toward God. Like he hasn't abandoned me again and again. And it's in that turning that I am transformed and that I experience joy again and again. Yeah. Yeah, and some of this resonates with my own story too. It's it's profound. It really is. Um, mm. So, just to read, this has been an amazing conversation. It really has. Uh, now, obviously, we, we all we know we're in this time of this pandemic, right, which is affecting all of us. It's, mm-hmm. it's a shared grief and a shared experience that we're all having. So, what do you, just to close, kind of, what's the, what's the message of the book and that kind of, and that you can, how can, how can you, how can you apply that message of the book to what we're going through right now? Yeah. Well, we tend to think that peace and joy, like I've, like I've said several times, are on the other side of our painful experiences, like being self-quarantined or losing jobs or having just this vast amount of uncertainty sit with us every single day because of the pandemic. And the invitation within my book is that you would be curious about your life as it is right here and now as a place where God is present. That within the four walls of your home or your apartment, there is actually goodness to receive and to witness. And within the skin of your own body, there is value in seeing your own self as you are, where you are. I hope that my book sparks curiosity in readers about our own lives and compassion toward our lives based in seeing the great compassion of God to dwell among us bodily in Christ and that we can face the present including its pain with new courage that this is worth living in these lives even if a lot of things remain difficult they are worth living in and inhabiting with their whole selves that's my hope that's beautiful that's a beautiful thing and I, can, and I echo that completely. I really do. Um, as time has gone on, I have, whilst acknowledging what, what you know, the trauma, the pain, the grief that we're all carrying and how people are suffering, which is awful, um, there's also a, a little seed of hope as well and mm-hmm. and being fully present and and gratitude for what I do have. Uh, as well and and finding God in the midst of that um, and I really, yeah, and I really hope that other people can find that and 
I'd really highly recommend this book. Um, it's called This Too Shall Last, and it's available, when does it come out? May? May 12th. May 12th, right. So um, definitely check that out. I read it. It's fantastic. Uh, and thank you, KJ, for coming on and talking about it. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me get all preachy and passionate. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was fantastic. It really was. So um, it's been a joy. Yeah, it really has um, for me too. So thank you, KJ, and um, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, stay safe. <laughs>